comparison, even before social media. We compared ourselves to one another, but now with social media, we are comparing our frustration and our ugh, the bad days with everyone else's best day. So for those of you that I have met, you know who I am, you know what I do. Those of you who may, we may not have connected yet, my name is Kathy Howie, and I am the campus pastor of our downtown location. But I get to do other things as well. And one of those things is I kind of um, serve as maybe the guidance counselor of Trinity Church, so people exploring a call to ministry or wanting to go deeper in their walk as a leader in Christ, I get to do things here that, that relate to that. And one of the things that I just wanted to let you know that you are part of a bigger effort than just what happens here as we worship together, and that is the Wesleyan Church has recognized our school of Trinity School of Ministry as um, a ministry training program in the Wesleyan Church. So as we have classes, you can applaud God for that for sure. As we have classes here, people who are going into full-time ministry will be taking them, and we, that is the case in the current class. Josh is teaching worship, but it's also been good for some of our worship team members and other folks to join in as well. So God is doing some things, and he's enlarging our vision. In fact, those of you participating online, we love that you chose to do that today, to be here with us in spirit. We would love for you to be in person, and so we invite you to do that. But I want to do a, a very specific shout out to a bunch of people that work in a meat packing plant in western Oklahoma that use our service during the week while they're working as their customers come in. Thank you. I don't even know the name of it, but welcome. We're glad that you are worshiping with us. And Trinity Church, we are part of something that God is just multiplying. And we're just trying to be faithful and hang on for the ride because that's the way that works. So today, we get to look at a verse that is probably the most misunderstood verse, misapplied verse in the whole Bible. But before we do that, a test for you Colts fans. What's the first home game? Kansas City. September 25th, Kansas City. So I'm going to guess that there will be people, maybe even someone in this room, but maybe somebody on the team who's saying that day, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I'm going to guess that people on the Chiefs are also going to be praying that. So how does that work? Does God's word only work for winners? Yeah. <laughs> we got to have a talk. <laughs> or what about something that you've always wanted to be? And you try that and it doesn't work. Like, I don't know, I've never wanted to be this, but... There's no way that I'm going to be a sumo wrestler, even with all the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's just not going to happen. Is that the all things that, Christ, that uh, Paul is talking about? 
Or maybe you've tried something that you desperately want to make happen, something good, and it didn't work. And you were praying this verse, God, I can do all things, and it didn't work, and now you feel like a failure. Or maybe you're thinking, well, you know, God's word, maybe it's not as true as what I thought it was. Or maybe this verse is just for Paul because he's the one, it's in first person. Maybe this is just for Paul in a specific circumstance, in a specific situation. That's an option, actually. There's no way to know until we look at the greater context of this verse because it is just the one. So you have these handy-dandy Bibles. I'm going to ask you to pull them out. They're in the the shelf under the seat in front of you, or those of you in the front, you might have to turn around and ask somebody to help you out to give you one. We're going to be in Philippians 4. We're going to start with verse 10, and if it works better for you to find it by page number, it's page 1085, 1085, Philippians 4.10. And again, this is ESV, and we're memorizing in NIV, and it's fine. Here we go. Philippians 4.10, page 1085. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul is the I. Paul is writing this letter, and the you is the Philippian church, the believers at Philippi. You have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need." And now our verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You can see in there the word content at the end of verse 11. The all things that Paul is talking about is contentment. He has learned to be content in any situation. So I thought I'd look it up in the dictionary, just go to the source. Contentment in our English means the state of peaceful happiness or satisfaction. But to give full meaning to what Paul is talking about, we need to know his situation for two, in two situations. The first is before he met Christ on the Damascus Road, before he was transformed, he was a Pharisee. He had great power, which... Wealth would have come with that status in all ways in the first century. He was living a very good life. He met Jesus, and all of that changed. So Paul knows what living in plenty is. He's not speaking just from a theoretical knowledge. The second thing that we need to know about Paul's current situation is he's writing from prison. And a Roman prison was not like the jails that we have today. There was no floor. They lived in mud and filth. It was basically a pit. Of course, they lost their freedom. They can't just come and go as they please anymore. 
And there was no centralized kitchen. Nobody was going to bring them breakfast, lunch, and dinner and slide it under the door. In fact, if you didn't have somebody on the outside cooking for you, you would die of hunger in a really miserable place. This is where Paul is, and this is where he says, I have learned to be content. What? He is completely content. When Paul says that he can do all things through Christ, he means that his contentment is separate from his physical and emotional situation. They are not the same for him. Another way to say it is that his contentment does not depend on the physical or the emotional. He's actually more than he lived a good life as a Pharisee in a Roman prison. He's living his best life. Anybody aspire to living their best life in a Roman prison? Wow. Something deeper is going on. And also, Paul thinks he's on death row as he's writing this. We don't know if this was his final time in prison, but it doesn't matter because Paul thinks it is. And so Paul is giving the Philippians everything that he wants them to know to succeed in the Christian life. He wants his brothers and sisters in any situation to have the contentment that he also has. Paul's desire for them is to be content in any situation, just like he is. So, just a little bit of logic. If he's teaching them about contentment, we can assume they were not living as contented as he would have hoped. And so let's look at what discontentment is. Where does that come from? What is it? Discontentment, again, according to a dictionary, is the lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, all the stuff we have, with one's status, how we're seen by others and how we think about ourselves, or situation. That kind of covers it, right? The lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. So if Pastor Mike were here, and I think he would... um, allow me to do this, would you grab the next steps card? Right? Everybody, I'm going to wait. I'm going to do it just like he does. Okay, I'm going to wait. Everybody get a next steps card out. Because as you write on those, two things are happening. The first is you're helping him figure out where we're headed with sermons next year, giving him some indication of where we all are at. And secondly, we get to pray for all of you that turn one in. Of course, we pray for everyone, but it's a little easier to pray if we have something tangible in our hands. You can put your name on it or not. doesn't matter. God knows who you are. But as I'm going to go through a really short list of what discontentment can look like, and if you hear a word that's like, oh, yeah, that is blocking my contentment, Would you just write that word down? Or if you want to write a situation down that needs prayer because of lack of contentment, that's totally fine. Either way. So here we go. And it's going to get progressive. So the first thing that uh, kind of an entry-level discontentment, if you will, is just the desire for more. When I get that thing, then, then I'll be content. When I get the promotion, then I'll be content. When I get the next iPhone, then I will be content. I've lived a few decades, so I have the authority to say, 
it doesn't work, ever. In fact, those things that we think we want end up owning us to some level. So we're actually bringing more responsibility on ourselves. So the desire for more is one of the ways that we become discontented. Another one is comfort. What do I need to be comfortable? Is that the focus of my life? When we go on a short-term mission trip, we always ask this question, what do I need to be comfortable? Because we are going to be in another culture uncomfortable. Another one, a little bit more intense, is comparison, even before social media. We compared ourselves to one another, but now with social media, we are comparing our frustration and our ugh, the bad days with everyone else's best day. So who on social media or who in your network has a better life than you do? Who do you want to kind of like be? If I could just be that person or have their life? The next one, advertising. And this one actually makes me a little angry, apologizing to anyone in the advertising industry. But the foundation of the advertising industry is to make us discontented. That's their whole goal. Because if we are discontented, we will buy what they are selling. Because you know that this soft drink will make my social life amazing. Or these shoes, as I walk into the the room are just going to, everybody's going to turn and, and just look at me. We all laugh and think, oh yeah, but we fall for it, don't we? If only I have that. And if I don't have it, I don't feel good about myself. Discontentment. And then the most, um, the most nefarious, I can't even think of a really good word to describe it, but anxiety. This is the epidemic of our age. Anxiety. And before I describe it, I just want to say, if this is an ongoing chronic condition in your life, I am not making light of that. In fact, I would suggest counseling and medication is appropriate. So hear me, I'm not talking about out of control anxiety. I'm talking about just the state of, of what is in our brain on a somewhat not continuous basis, if that makes any sense. Anxiety we don't even have to pretend to be anxious. It's everywhere around us, and we just live in it like a fish lives in water. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're being anxious. So what uncertainty grips my heart? Is it the state of the world? Is it local politics? Is it what's going to... Numbers are rising again with COVID. What is up with that? These all, all of what we've just described have to do with our possessions, our status, and our situation. And Paul wants us, he wants the Philippians, and through them, he wants us to understand that contentment is not about any of those things at all. Paul's contentment is based on Christ. The word him in our verse, H-I-M, is actually Christos in the Greek. He wants our attention to be focused on Christ because it is separate from his physical and his emotional reality. Or another way to say it is this. All discontentment is from disconnection from Christ. 
It's a superlative sentence on purpose because it's true. All discontentment comes from disconnection from Christ. And I brought a little toy along. You've all seen this little guy. Just to give us a physical uh, representation of it. It rocks back and forth. It's so cute and it's so pretty, isn't it? I like things that have lots of colors. But if we take them off, a sec uh, like a two-year-old, this is supposed to be for one through three-year-olds, so a two-year-old needs to figure out which one goes on there first. And it's kind of fun to watch it happen, but it's also like, I just want to put this one on for them. But you know, they'll, they'll start with something else and then try to make it work, and of course it doesn't work, and then they get frustrated, at least. That was my childhood, maybe not yours. <laughs> but when they learn that this is the ring that goes on first, it sets a tone for the rest. And whether they even get the rest of them right or not, and they mix them up a little bit, they still kind of fit. And eventually they'll get it. But until they understand that this one goes on first, they can't get the other ones right. And it's like that with our lives. I gotta put them back the right way, here we go. It's like that with our lives. Until we get the most important thing first as the foundation, our lives are prioritized and mixed up. And Augustine, who lived in uh, the crossover of the fourth to the fifth century, describes this, it's not a new problem. In fact, that's what Paul's talking about, right? Augustine called it disordered desires. Not that the desires were wrong, but that we put a desire that should not be the best and the most foundational desire in a place it can't occupy. So all disconnection comes from disconnection from Christ because the Bible says, I'm going to bring Augustine back, I know that was a lot, but it's okay, we'll get there. <laughs> the Bible says that our highest and deepest desire can only be satisfied in Christ. So if we don't put that blue ring down first, then we're asking something else to bear the weight it was never meant to bear. Our desires, unless they are ordered properly, are gonna mess us up because the way we live then is we place our priorities along with a disordered desire. So if our desire is to have more, and that might be a good desire when we want to provide for our family. There's nothing wrong with wanting more, but it cannot be the ultimate desire. It cannot be the foundation on which we live. God is the only one who can hold that place in our heart if we want to have a contented life. It won't work any other way because he is the only love that can fully satisfy the deepest longing in our hearts. It's how he made us. We're not trying to retrofit something. We're actually doing it the way that he wants us to, the way that he created us to. But there's someone who is very happy when our desires are out of whack, and that's the enemy, Satan. 
He works to confuse us by disordering our desires away from Christ. The enemy convinces us to exchange God's highest good with something that leaves us unsatisfied and therefore vulnerable to his ways. Because if God or if Satan can make us put something else in that foundational spot, then the power of Christ has left the building and we don't have access to it. So if he can confuse us and disorder our desires, he wins. So you know he's going to work hard at this. Because if Christ is not our deepest desire, he stripped us of power. Discontentment then opens the door to the enemy. But contentment in Christ locks it tight against him. It's one of our best defenses is to be content. So, as Josh comes up, let's just remember a couple of things. First, we're in this series called Hide This in Your Heart. We're studying very familiar passages of Scripture that were written to another person or people at another time in history, and we're looking for the deep truth that is within that so that we can then know how we operate within that verse. We, when we understand the context, the background, it helps us to apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it's a misapplication, and so that's what we're hoping to guard against. So, here's the summary of where we've been this morning. The context of Philippians 4.13 is that Christ gives Paul the strength. Christ gives Paul the strength to do what God has called him to do, whether Paul has much or little. Those are the all things. What God has called him to do, whether he has much or little, God has given him what he needs. His contentment is not influenced by his possessions, his status, or situation because his greatest desire is already fulfilled in Christ. If you think of a glass that's full of something, you can't add anything else to it. And so when we add Christ, or add, that sounds really weird. When we allow Christ to be the deepest fulfillment, filling us with his grace and goodness and mercy, nothing else can get in. Discontentment doesn't stand a chance. And this is true right now because Paul is writing out of a very real situation. We can imagine, you know, the pictures that we've seen of Paul with flowing robes, sitting at a desk in prison with bars and, and writing with a quill. It's not how it was. He was probably sitting in mud, hungry, without a toilet, to be blunt. That means that this verse can apply to our very real situations today. There is nothing beyond God's care and contentment, nothing. It also points, if you read more in the book of Philippians, it also points to a future hope. That the contentment we have right now 
is a foreshadowing to an unbelievably contented existence with Christ for eternity. So it's very practical. It's very raw in all the the words that I've used and the ones that I'm thinking. And it's also this promise for the future. It is now and also not yet. And Paul desperately wants the Philippians to get this. So just like all discontentment comes from disconnection from Christ, all true contentment comes from connection with Christ. Applied in this situation, we can look at this verse and say, this verse really is for all people. For each one of us, in any and every situation we're going to face, whether, as Paul says, he is brought low or he is in abundance. There's one more thing that um, will be helpful to know, and it's a little nerdy, and I know this is the end of the sermon. So poke the person next to you and say, wake up, this is important. One more point, and then we're going to do something uh, to be done. When Paul says in verse 12, if you look halfway through verse 12, he starts, I know how to abound low, and I know how, or I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. But right here, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, basically, of being content. I have learned the secret. So this verb is actually passive. Paul isn't really doing the learning, but we can't say, someone learned me. We don't do that in English. And we can't even say someone taught me because teaching doesn't necessarily mean you learned it. But it's passive. The Holy Spirit has learned Paul in contentment. And the other thing is the word secret here refers to an initiation. So the Holy Spirit has brought Paul somewhere and has done the work. And then the next verse is our verse, and it is active. I can do all things. So think of it this way. A bunch of you this summer are going to take your kids to swimming lessons. Or maybe you've heard this before. Or maybe you're an a big guy, and you're going to go take swimming lessons. You will hear this again and again and again. Stop struggling and let the water hold you up. Because no amount of kicking or strokes is going to make you swim unless you learn to float. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. I have learned the Holy Spirit has given me contentment. And now, because that's true, I can do all things that God has called me to. It's not something that we make happen. And so we're going to do a little practice this morning. And that'll require you taking whatever you've been writing on or if your purse, whatever, and just put it to the side or under your chair for a second. So go ahead and clear every, clear the deck. <laughs> and then have a comfortable position 
Make sure that maybe your back is pressed. You know, I, I start to do this and I slouch and pretty soon I realize that I'm not very comfortable. So if that means sitting up straight or bowing over, whatever, be in a comfortable position. And I'm going to just lead us through an exercise of allowing God's contentment to wash over us. So close your eyes. And we're going to take a deep breath. And as you breathe in, receive God's goodness down deep into your soul. Breathe that breath all the way into your toes. And then exhale. And this time, as you breathe in, take a deeper breath. And remember that Christ's contentment is a gift of the Holy Spirit that we get to receive. So breathe that big breath in and receive the gift of contentment. And exhale. I'm just gonna, as you continue to breathe slowly, I'm gonna state some truth over us and then I'm gonna pray. We remember that God is for us. That he's not a tyrant with a whip asking us to submit, ordering us to submit, but he's our loving father who is opening his arms, who just longs to be with us. God is for you. Just say this in your mind, God is for me. Father, as we receive what the Holy Spirit will do in our hearts and has done in our hearts, we can't help but thank you. We thank you, God, that you are good. We thank you that you are for us. And Lord, all of those things that we brought in with us today, things that are keeping us from being contented. God, we offer them to you because you are way more powerful than any one of those and more powerful than them all together. And in fact, you are in it with us in every situation, just as much as you are with Paul in a dungeon. God, we worship you and we say with Paul that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.